Do you know what pisses off the people that report to you? Do you know? And if you do know what pisses them off, are you doing that every day? Because if you do, you're not trying to build trust on your team. Do you know what inspires your team? Do you know what motivates your team? Do you know why they've chosen to work in your organization? Because they got a choice. They don't have to be there. But why are they sticking around? Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin, I have something for you. Have you not read Only Tens 2.0 yet? If you've been listening to the show, my guess is you have read it. Would you like to give away a copy to someone you care about, someone who's struggling with time and energy management? someone who needs to focus on the important things? Well, if you go to markjsilverman.com, click on the red resource buttons, we have put a free copy of Only Tens 2.0 for you to download, and you can upload it onto your electronic device of choice. I hope you enjoy. So my next guest is one of those people that I watch on social media. I watch what they do. I watch what they say. I, li- I read what they write. And I wonder, how could I live up to that standard? They're really accomplished. They're smart. They're powerful in their leadership capabilities. And then they also have this kind heart. Like they're really good people. And that for me, at first, I, I wonder, how can I be like that? And then I say, how can I be like that? I use people like that uh, as a beacon for me, because if I spot it in them, I must have it somewhere. So when I meet people like Anton Gunn, who is my guest today, I strive to learn what I can from them, both about what they've accomplished, what they're teaching, and then how they're being, who they're being. So officially, Anton Gunn is the former senior advisor to President Barack Obama and a national expert on workplace injustice. He was the first African-American in history elected to the South Carolina legislature from his district early in his career. That's incredible. You know, just starting off young. Uh, He graduated from the University of South Carolina. He played football at the college level. So he knows he knows the grind. He's written a bunch of books, The Audacity of Leadership, The Presidential Principles, which, by the way, our friend Meredith Bell, who's a friend of the show, uh, interviewed him about that book on her Grow Strong Leaders podcast. And we're going to put a link in the show notes because you'll get a lot of background on Anton from that show. We're going to skip because I don't want to go over the same things that she did. Uh, And he also wrote a book called Just Lead, which we're going to be talking about today. He's been featured in Time Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, Inc. Magazine, NPR, Good Morning America. He's a keynote speaker and CEO of 937 Strategy Group. He's spoken and worked with companies like Mercedes-Benz, KPMG, Verizon Wireless, T-Mobile, Boeing. And uh, we can thank him because he worked really hard on the Patient Protection Act for the ACA. So I'm really grateful that he exists. Anton, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Excited to be with you. 
in doing research, I get to know people before they come on the show. And I, and I notice when I start to really fall in love, like sometimes I'm like, okay, these people are, they've got a shtick. These people, they've got something to sell. And then I, I get to know you and it's like, I want, I want, I don't want to stop my research because I'm learning so much and I'm finding out about you as a person. I'm curious, you know, you didn't start out wanting to be a leadership coach or, you know, a, a consultant to help people bring these qualities to their organizations. What's your origin story for being this guy? Uh, that's a great question and a, and a great place to start. I will say this, leadership is something that you live and do. It's not a job. It is something that you do. And my origin story of leadership literally starts being the oldest of four boys. My mother was a school teacher and my father was in the United States Navy for 22 years. And I knew I was a leader um, when my mom had twins in 1980. Uh, my younger brothers, baby brothers were twins. And we have a middle brother. His name is Sharon. Sharon was five years younger than me. And my mom came in the living room one day and sat Sharon on the couch beside me and said, I have to go upstairs and feed the twins but I'm leaving your brother on the couch beside you and you need to take care of him. Don't let anything happen to him. Don't let him get hurt. Don't let him fall in anything. Don't let him put his finger in his socket. If anything bad happens to him, it's going to happen to you. And every older sibling has a similar story about uh, a parent putting them in charge of their younger siblings. See, I'm the, I'm the baby of the family and got beat up mercilessly. Yes. So my, my kids weren't, my, my siblings weren't listening. <laughs> yeah. So I took that seriously. Um, that's where, you know, I guess a leadership mindset started for me. But professionally, um, what I wanted to do when I grew up, I wanted to be a school teacher. I wanted to be a high school U.S. history teacher and coach basketball. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, but again, in both of those professions, you do what the best leaders do is that you teach more than you lead. As a teacher, the best teachers in my life, my mom, uh, the first and foremost, but many others were people who were leaders of a classroom, but their job was to teach more than it was to lead. If you think about the great basketball coaches or coaches in any sport, it doesn't matter who they are, they teach more than they lead. And so for me, it was always kind of innate wanting to be this teacher kind of guy to, mm -hmm. to share knowledge and to help people to learn and grow. And um you know, I had a series of unfortunate experiences playing college football and those things that kind of um, helped me to fall into this space of now teaching people how to build diverse, high performing teams in a world class workplace culture. But it definitely is not where I wanted to be. I wanted to teach history and coach basketball. So how did you make this your profession? I will tell you the, the shortest answer to that is that my first job after college I always tell a good story, but let me tell the bad part. When I graduated from college, it took 18 months before I found my first job. I mean, I literally struggled. I mean, I interviewed 60 or 70 times with big companies, small companies that tried to sell insurance, that tried to work at a bank, I tried to get hired. I mean, I tried to do everything. I never became a teacher, uh, a real teacher. I was a substitute for a little while, but I struggled to find a job. And it was a year and a half after finishing college that a fraternity brother, uh, I'm a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity, whose motto is training for leadership. Uh, my fraternity brother introduced me to a small nonprofit uh, that needed a staff person 
to do some particular work. And I didn't know what it was. I just needed a job. And that job was at a small nonprofit where we did advocacy and community organizing work on healthcare access. So literally, I started my career knocking on doors in low-income public housing communities, asking people about their experiences with the local hospital or healthcare system. And what I learned in that summer of 1996 is that so many people didn't have access to care, uh, couldn't afford coverage, couldn't afford prescription drug coverage. And many times, if you were poor, a person of color, a new immigrant, or you didn't have education of a high level, you got treated like crap by the healthcare system. And so my job was to organize these people together to bring their voices to the table so we can improve the American healthcare system. And how this became my profession is that most of the people who I talked to every day when I was doing community organizing work didn't believe in themselves. They had believed the story that society had told them about themselves, that they were poor, stupid. They made a bunch of mistakes. They deserve nothing. They're not contributors to society. They're not even real citizens, you know, these kinds of things. And so I found myself teaching people how to believe in themselves first, and then secondly, equipping them with knowledge and understanding of the political process, the public policy process, so they could become advocates for themselves, teaching people how to stand up and fight for what they want and what they believe in. And it became natural to me to be able to do this. And I got very effective doing it. I mean, I've helped some people who were single moms living on welfare with three or four kids in poverty to now becoming entrepreneurs, running their own businesses, starting theaters, uh, you know, building their own companies and building their own lives. And it's because I just got good at understanding the value of teaching people what they need to be successful in life. And that's a cornerstone of who I am as a, as a leader is number one, I believe you serve first. And then secondly, you empower people. You give people the tools, the information and the resources to determine their own destiny. It's not for me to decide what your destiny is. It's for me to help you to find your true purpose. And when I got good at it, I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I would say it's probably who you be versus what you do, right? Yes. I, so I'm, I'm really fascinated in how do you take someone who's been beaten down uh, and has all the evidence mm -hmm. that they don't matter? Mm -hmm. How do you help them believe in themselves? Yeah, I think the, the first thing is you can't fix what's wrong until you really know what's wrong, right? Mm. People are beat down, but that's symptomatic of some other things. And so a big part of my discovery process is understanding your story. Again, the way you started this interview is what's your origin story? I mean, I'm a huge Marvel comics fan, right? And so I watch all of the movies, been reading the comics for many, many years. And I know every superhero has an origin story where they were beat down in some way, where they didn't believe in themselves. They felt like they didn't fit. They felt like um, their special abilities were detriments and negatives rather than assets. And so all of us have these experiences in our life, whether we have superpowers or not, whether we think we have superpowers or not, we all do, right? And so many people have this story, uh, this experience, and maybe even sometimes trauma in their lives where they feel less than, they feel ill-equipped, they feel like they don't deserve you know, the best of life. And I do my best to understand that first and then unpack the assets that I see. Mm -hmm. I basically say, listen, this is what you see. 
but let me tell you what I see. And let me help you to understand how you can see what I see and give people tangible action steps that they can do to walk into their greatness. And sometimes it's really small things like you may have a melodic voice or you might uh, be great at calligraphy or you might be great at, at drawing of some sort. So how do we use what comes natural to you that you don't see value in or you don't think other people will see value in? How can we use that to put you in a better position? That's step one. Step two is beyond that is letting you understand is not as bad as you think it is. It really is not as bad as you think it is. It might be bad, but it could be a whole lot worse. And so you got to start with an asset-based framework that you have some assets and then things are not as bad as you think they are. The third thing, and I'll, I'll kind of- Or, or as they could be. Or as they could be, as, as they could be. The third thing is, is to help people to understand uh, what their true purpose is and how I help them to, to figure that out is really two sides of a coin. Side A of the coin is to list all of the things that you're naturally good at, okay? And I mean, like when I say naturally good, that people say, you should do that because it comes easy to you, or, or mm. you can help me with this because it's easy to you. List all of those things that you're good at, and then let's figure out which two of these three things or five things that you could become great at, not just good, but you could become the best at those things. Then the other side of the coin is, what are you passionate about? And when I say passionate, what excites you so much that you could talk about it for hours upon hours and never get tired of talking about it? Flip, the flip side, I'll, I'll say, what pisses you off? Yeah, you, I, and I was going to say that. I was going to say that. Also, what pisses you off so much so that you want to fight against it, rid the world of it, or you could talk about how angry it makes you, whatever it is, whether it pisses you off or excites you, write those things down. And then let's figure out how do you become an expert in what pisses you off? <laughs> because if you become an expert in what pisses you off, then you will know more how to solve that problem than anybody else you're around. And if you can figure out how to solve a problem that also pisses other people off or inspires other people, then you can set yourself apart and then use your skill set to put yourself in a position to win. That that is, you know, the cornerstone I, I believe of what every person should be doing is figure out what are you passionate about, what pisses you off, what inspires you, and what you're good at, and what you could become great at it. And the people who reach the three percent or the highest uh, threshold of, of greatness are the people who figure out what they're passionate about and what they're good at, and make them the same job. So, for instance. Michael Jordan, who is passionate about basketball, like he could never get enough of it. Okay. And he happened to be pretty good at it. And he worked himself into a great space. And literally he became arguably the greatest basketball player ever, but you don't have to be a basketball player. I mean, you could be five foot one and 300 pounds and be passionate about basketball. But the thing that you might be good at are math and statistics. So maybe you'll never play basketball, but you could become the head statistician for the National Basketball Association. You could become the head statistician at your favorite college team, or you could build a blog or build a website where you capture and analyze stats of the NBA game and people pay you a subscription to get access to your information. Again, taking what you're 
passionate about and what you're good at and creating an opportunity for yourself. So that's awesome for an individual trying to figure out their path. You know, you work with leadership teams in, you know, consequential organizations. Yes. How do you translate that over to, you look at a leadership team and you see people who don't see themselves as leaders. They don't have the confidence in themselves. And in order to build that world-class organization, you have to help them find that. How do you take all that you just talked about and make it accessible to people who are in corporate America? Yeah. So the, so the, the concepts stay a hundred percent the same is that sometimes we're in a role by default. Like when I say default, I literally talked to a coaching client yesterday about this, who by default found herself in an executive role. She never desired to be in this position. She went to go work in an organization. And what I mean by default, people like her, think she's good. And so, hey, you should do this job. She never sought it out, never chased it. Mm -hmm. It kind of gave her opportunities. And now she's on an executive team inside the culture of an organization where she really feels like she's misaligned, that she doesn't fit, that the team is going in one direction and she's not going in that direction and she doesn't know what to do. And so I literally started with her and asked the question, what are you passionate about? What do you, if, if you had unlimited money, if you had unlimited time and unlimited support from your family, and if you didn't love it, you could quit tomorrow, what would you do today? If money was not an issue, time was not an issue and support was not an issue, what would you do? And she began to unpack for me, well, I definitely wouldn't be working here. And I said, okay, well, what would you be doing? I don't tell me what you don't tell me what you don't want to do. Tell me what you want to be doing. And it literally took a while for her to really articulate what she wanted to be doing because she spent so much time doing things that she's not. So sometimes there are people who are totally misaligned and they don't need to be in that organization because they're never going to be a part of the team. But the other time is it's people who are a part of the team and the team is not being cohesive and not working well. And so here's where I try to help all of the leaders from a peer standpoint and most importantly, the person who leads that team. So whether you're the CEO and you lead an executive team or maybe you're the chief of operations and you got five operational directors who report to you, it doesn't matter um, what position you're in. Here's the concept of how you begin to build a great team. You don't have a great team where you don't have trust. Trust is paramount in any organization. We all know that. So the concept of trust is built on the foundation of two questions. And, and there are totally three questions. I'm going to give you all three. But question number one, for every person around the table, they're thinking this question every day when they show up to work. And if you're a leader, you should be thinking that your team is looking at you and they're asking you the same question. And the question is, do you care about me? Do you care about me? Because if you don't care about the people on your team, then there's no possible way for you to build trust. Nobody will invest in trusting a person who doesn't care about them. So as a leader, you got to answer that first question. Here's the second question. Will you help me to be successful? Because every one of us who shows up to work in corporate America or any job or any team, when we show up, we want to be successful. Nobody wants to be a failure. Nobody mentally sets out saying, I want to be a failure at this job. We want to be successful but we know we cannot be successful by ourselves. So we need a team to help us to be successful. So you as a leader, your team is asking, will you help me to be successful? That's the second question. 
And the third question is, can I trust you? Now, uh, as I said, if you don't ever answer the first question or the second question, people will never trust you. So when people on a team, when I'm working with a leadership team, I literally start with that foundation that, listen, you got to answer that question for the peer to the left of you, to the peer to the right of you. And as a leader of the team, you got to answer the question to everybody on the team. If you don't, functional effectiveness of your team will be absent for as long as people don't feel like that they're cared about and that you're helping them to succeed. Now, I'll bookend it with this piece. It's hard to care about people that you don't really know. Mm-hmm. And I think the greatest thing that I do is to help leaders to learn the process of knowing the people on your team, just knowing your team. So again, going back to what we talked about a second ago, do you know what pisses off the people that report to you? Do you know? And if you do know what pisses them off, are you doing that every day? Because if you do, you're not trying to build trust on your team. Do you know what inspires your team? Do you know what motivates your team? Do you know why they've chosen to work in your organization? Because they got a choice. They don't have to be there. But why are they sticking around? Is it because of the job, the salary, or the benefits? Or maybe because they're sticking around because they're in close proximity to other family members that they want to live nearby. Or maybe they're just sticking around because they like the brand of the company, but they really don't like the people that they work for. You got to know why. And they're not going to tell you that transactionally. They're going to tell you that after you have built a relationship and they know that you really do care and want to know and that you're going to help them to be successful where they are. Those are the cornerstones of starting to build that team culture. When you go on LinkedIn, you will see that I quoted you today specifically on that because I was, I just, I loved it. And then I love how you put an exclamation point on that. They don't want to hear it. They no. want to see it, right? They, they want, want to see the it. action. So here's, here's my frustration with people like you. Mm-hmm. You are a kind-hearted, good, connected man, right? Like you care about people. That's who you be. But we go into organizations and, you know, like I do Enneagram testing and personality testings, and some people are more analytical and less on the feeling side and less on the connected side. Some are more hard charging, right? And they're not lesser or better or worse people. Mm -hmm. It's just their connection skills have to be honed, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to stretch in that area. I have to stretch in the attention to detail area because all I care about is the people, right? How do you help people actually give a shit? about creating that connection about because we in the rising leader program that i that i do uh we we build a boss empathy map how do you lead up how do you learn about your boss how do you learn about your peers build an empathy map for them and then we build an empathy map for the people who work for us we know everything that you talked about but how do you get someone to actually care to know that those skills are where the juice is yeah that's a very important question and a very difficult question and no, you need to solve this in three minutes or less. Yeah. So let me let me put it to you this way. I don't believe you can make people care. They have to want to. They they really do have to want to. Like, and when I mean want to, they don't have to want to care. They gotta want to get better. Like, you know, you know, I have a background in social work. And so I know a little bit about addiction. I know a little bit about people who are in certain spaces that you can't help a person with addiction unless they want help. 
unless they really do want help, right? And there are plenty of people who don't want to get better. And the people who don't want to get better, you should quit your job right now. I'm telling you right now, you should just quit. Go do something else. Leadership is not for you. No, it's not for you. It's not, and, it's, and it's okay because it's not for everybody. It should not be for everybody. But it has to be a desire for you to want to improve. Like if you say, you know what? I'm terrible at, at attention to detail. I need to get better. Well, if you have that desire, then we can start with some baby steps to help you to get better and then grow into that. But I, I fundamentally believe that you have to understand that this is a learning process. Leadership doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. That's a John Maxwell axiom there and a, and a quote that every day you got to want to get better. And if you don't want to get better, get out because you're not going to be good. You can't be good at the job. And you're going you to be miserable. Right. You're going to be miserable. And the last thing I'll add is this, is that we all come with some expertise. Like I didn't develop leadership expertise overnight. My, my first expertise was in healthcare policy. That was my expertise. But the higher I went up in organizations, I knew that my healthcare expertise meant absolutely nothing because I needed to develop expertise in people. Mm -hmm. You know, in companies, you know, you got product knowledge where I know my product. Like if I'm a sales rep, I might know my vacuum cleaners better than anybody else in the business. And I can tell you everything about the vacuum cleaner and I can sell a vacuum cleaner, but I can't lead people. You know why? Because I don't know as much about my people as I know about the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so your job as a leader should be to know as much about your people as you do the product because your people are your product. Like every su successful company knows that their talent is essential to success in business. That if you don't have the right people in the right seats on the right bus, moving in the right direction, you won't grow and succeed as a business. So the journey for anyone who wants to be a leader is to have to understand that you have to become an expert in people and how they're all different and what their motivations are and how do we put them in position to be successful. And most importantly, how do we guide and empower them in a way that allows them to operate at their highest and fullest potential? That's a journey that you have to be on if you want to lead. It, it, it's so important. One of the things I did with one of my CEOs who was much more analytical was I, I gave him the assignment to have lunch with one person on his team every day for two weeks. And he's like, why would I do that? I said, yeah, by the way, the other thing is you can't talk about work. Yes. He's like, all right, I'll do it. You know, pay, pay you a lot of money. So I'll follow the instructions, right? The miracle that happened was he came back to me and said, uh, so-and-so has two children who did this, or so-and-so lost a child. And they, I, didn't, I didn't know that they were taking care of this person. And he was like so excited by what he learned about people that he started to realize the responsibility he had as CEO, that it was actually not just a company, it was an organization of people. So that caring came up, as you said, when you get to know Right. Like, how do you not fall in love with a single mother with four kids who has no health care when you're knocking on her door? Because I'm going to freaking cry. Right. How do you not fall in love and decide I am connected to this person? Yes. Right. So and that, I think that's with everybody else. Yeah. So like I, I do the same thing. So um, I, I do this more with new leaders because I want people if you move into a new role, I want you to be incredibly successful in that role. So I tell leaders in your first 100 days, your goal is to meet with three 
employees a week, 30 minute one-on-one meetings. I want you to do three a week. Okay. And the meetings have a script and I have several questions that I want people to go through. So the first question is, um, where did you grow up? You know, don't even talk about work. The first question is, where did you grow up? You want to learn about people's background and how they ended up where they are. Second question could be, depending on the type of organization, where'd you go to school? High school, college, graduate school, this depends on, you know, your type of uh, organization. And you want to know about where they went to school, because again, telling you, you might be in a major urban area, but you might learn they grew up on a farm in the middle of Iowa. And when you ask them where they went to school, maybe they went to an Ivy League school, or maybe they went to community college for two years and they went to public school. All of these things give you some context for who that person is. And then the third question is, again, why did you choose to work here? You want to understand their motivations for coming to work in the company. Mm. Then a fourth question is simply, you know, what's the best part about your job? Tell me what you love about what you do every day. Don't have to know everything, but the one thing that they love. And then the fourth question that I get to very quickly is, if you were in charge for a day, what's one thing you would change about this place? Just one thing. It's okay to be honest. You got to give them permission to be honest. Yeah, be honest. Be totally honest. It doesn't matter what it is. I just want to know. Okay. And when they give you that information, let me just break down what it, what it does for most leaders. That last question of one thing you would change about this place, if you were in charge or if you were me, what you, what you would do differently. When they give you that, if you talk to a hundred people in your first 100 days, if you literally did a hundred one-on-ones in your first 100 days, you'll have a checklist of a hundred things that you need to do right now that will transform the culture of your organization for people. And let's be clear. If you talk to a hundred people, they're going to be like five things that bubble up to the top that everybody raises that has been a sore spot in your company for year after year after year. And it's the elephant in the room that nobody does anything about it. If you want to show people that you care about them, listen to what they tell you and then do something about it. Yeah, you solve that problem. You are you are the hero. You are the hero. You become the hero, right? And trust. And so those are like basic, you know, concepts around knowing people. You got to know people and know what's important and what matters to them and and then do something about it. That's that's what this lifestyle should be about is doing your part to make things right when you when you learn that they're wrong. Okay, I want to be cognizant of time. So I have two places I want to, I, I want to talk to you for another hour and a half, maybe two hours, but we're not going to do that. You and I, before we, before we turn on the mics, we were talking in my rising leader program, I talk about leading in a powerful group of peers and mm-hmm. I called it the fine art of coopetition. Mm-hmm. And the challenge, I get a lot of challenge from a lot of coaches is we don't want to think of it as competition right? We want it harmonious. We want support. We want to, and, uh, and you, you had a really good take on what it's like to lead in a peer group. So I wanted you to share that before we moved on yeah. to my last topic. Yeah. So I would say that the, the, the main point of this is authenticity. When you're true to who you are and you're transparent about who you are, transparency breeds trust, totally trust, right? And in the workplace, it is a hundred percent competition. Everybody doesn't get to be CEO or nobody could be the director of supply chain or the director of of operations, right? There's only one person in that role. And if you're in a peer group striving to hit that leadership position, you're going to be competing against people around you. You you have to be. You got to show your best of your best all of the time. But here's how people don't have hard feelings about those kinds of processes. 
is that if you're answering those three questions as an employee and as a teammate, then people will know that, you know what, if I lose to Anton, there's nothing for me to be mad about. You know, like as, as a keynote speaker, I speak across the country 40 to 50 times a year at conferences. And a lot of event planning teams, you know, they vet out speakers and they might have three of us that they're vetting out. And then I'll get the call back, Anton, we're not going with you for this gig. We're going with another speaker. Well, if I know they're going with a, a guy who is ethical, who is competent, who is capable, and this is an all around good guy, I'm not mad that I lost out on a business opportunity to someone else who has good ethics and good values. That's the nature of the beast. We're in cooperation with each other. And that's the name of the game. I'm okay with that. But it's only because I'm honest and transparent and authentic about who I am. And he's honest and transparent and authentic about who he is, that we can have that mutual relationship and operate from an abundance mentality and not a scarcity mentality. And so if you're on a team with people, just do you, be you and do you to 100%, be honest about it and always treat everybody with respect because that's the, at the end of the day, that's what you want. When you lose out to someone or when you beat someone out, you want to maintain the respect. And the only way you maintain the respect is if everybody can see you coming from 100 miles away. And the only way they see you coming from 100 miles away is for you to be the real you from day one to the last day that you're involved. Right. You, when you get the promotion, you want to be the person that says, oh, man, if I lost, at least I lost to her. She's amazing. Right. Correct. You want to be that person who everybody applauds when you get the promotion, when you get the resources, when you get whatever it is you need, because they know that you're the person, you know, the person who will do well with it. So I, yes. I think that that's brilliant. So thank you so much for that. Last thing is in your book, Just Lead. I really, I love the way you laid it out. You have 44 actionable steps, 44 actionable steps to create a world-class organization. And um, we're not going to go off, but you break it down into three different sections. Service is a prerequisite to leadership. So when you talked about that earlier, empower yeah. them to help them be successful. And then the last is leave a legacy by showing them that they can trust you forever. So you want to just give me an overview of what that means to build a world-class organization and what the ingredients are to that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, very simply, leadership is simple. It's not easy, but it's 100% simple. And the framework of this book is to give you actionable things that you could do implementing right now, like tomorrow, to actually help people in your organization to trust you and build a world-class culture in your organization. So one example on, on the legacy piece, if you want people to trust you forever, one of the simplest things you can do is to not throw them under the bus. I mean, think about it. Just simply, just simply don't throw them under the bus. Don't throw them under the bus. <laughs> don't ever throw anybody under the bus, right? And especially if they report to you, don't throw people that report to you under the bus. You know, if they're, if they're not, you got to do what I call calling out and calling in sometimes. So mm -hmm. calling people in is when someone on your team screws up, you coach and counsel them behind closed doors and you do your best to fix it. But you don't throw them under the bus to cover your own behind. That's not a leadership behavior and a leadership attribute. But we know so many people every day don't mind throwing their team under the bus. That's how people won't trust you. And you'll get a quick and very bad reputation as a leader. Don't work for him. He'll hang you out the drive. Or she will leave you hanging and twisting in the wind to save her own behind. 
That's not how you build a legacy. And that's not how you build a world-class organization. A second concept is really around, you know, the empowerment piece is you have to understand that everybody who works for you doesn't want to work for you forever. They don't. And so if you understand what do you want to do in your life long term? Like, do, do you really want to replace me or do you want to go off and do something else? And the best leaders are the ones who first understand that about the people that they lead and then help them to achieve their goal. So if you built a, a caring and trusting relationship at work and I feel comfortable say, you know what, I'm only working here till my wife finishes her PhD and then we're moving to California. But we got another two years. So I, I want to know what can I do to be successful here or what can you do to help me to be successful to, till my two years are up? So now, you know, as a leader, I need to invest into that teammate enough that they can be fully successful at work. But this is not a person who has a life or commitment to this company. And that's OK. It's not like it's a negative if they, if they say, I don't want to work. I want to work here for the next 30. It's not it's not a negative that they don't want to stay there forever. It's understanding that all of us have different motivations of why we do what we do every day. And the better you understand that, the better you tie that back into your bigger goals and your bigger organizational goals is how you unleash people to be the best employee possible for the time that you have them. And then if that person decides, you know, two years from now that they do want to go away, how do you help them to go away and be better? Writing letters of recommendation. Recommend them for opportunity. Give them a professional development plan out of the door to, to help them to, to move into the space that they're in. So a world-class culture really comes down to how you lead, how you put yourself in a position to become Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa or Nelson Mandela. And why am I saying those names? Because it doesn't matter who you are, whether you agree with them or not, you know that every one of those names that I named are people that are admired the world over. They're admired because they stood for something. They cared about people. They spent their time serving people and making a difference in the lives of people who are getting value out of their work long after they all have been dead and gone. So I'm not telling you you have to become a civil rights activist or to work to end poverty and hunger around the world, but I am telling you to be a leader that has a justice code, a code that I'm going to do my part to make things better for every person that I touch. I'm going to use my position of leadership, my power, my authority, uh, my space to not just benefit me, but to benefit everybody around me and to be a voice and a conscious voice of how I can do things the right way. That's how you build a culture. And that's what I laid out in the book, Just Lead. As a matter of fact, I gave you the 10 traits of world-class leaders in the back of the book in order for people to understand what does this look like as a real life practice. I want people to win. I want companies to win. And so my goal is to try to help them to get there. Nice. You can, you can, and you can read that book in one sitting going from, uh, from DC to California and, uh, and just get, take so many notes and get, and get so many actionable things. So I, I think it's, I think it's incredible. Anton, I really appreciate your wisdom. I appreciate your heart more than anything. You know, you just turned 50. I just turned 60. And so much of what you talked about, I can turn around and say, they're all good for selfish reasons also, because you know, there are people from 20 some odd years ago 
I'm talking to people from 15, 20 years ago who are coming and being guests on my podcast and helping me in different areas, right? Creating that, that um, legacy. You're going to live a long time, probably. And you want, you want, you want people in your corner when you're, when you're an old dog like me, you know, not you yet, but me. So uh, thank you for bringing your heart and your wisdom and your experience to the show. Thank you for having me, Mark. I appreciate the time. So glad to be a part of this conversation and uh, would love to keep it going around the world. That's great. To everybody else, thank you for your time and attention. It's precious to me. I hope you learned something. Please share the podcast, uh, like it uh, on your different channels if you did. And I love you. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.